Welcome to the Basin Church Podcast. And as a church, our mission is to bring hope and wholeness through Jesus Christ. And no matter where you are and as you listen today, we hope that you find hope in Jesus and even move one step closer to being made whole. Series called, and I'm super excited, it's called The Final Word. And anytime you have the final word, what's the final word? Mom has the final word in the discussion, right? Dad has the final word in the discussion. Or you want to get the final word into a discussion or an argument. But if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, and this isn't just for everyone, but if you're a Christian, here's what we want to explain to you. If you're not, this, this will make sense to people who are not. Okay, it, We believe that the final word is what God says. And what God says is, is in Scripture... But this guy kind of gives you the idea of what believers uh, think about uh, the word and the final say and what God has to say. In First, Second Timothy, excuse me, three sixteen, it says this. It says that all Scripture is God breathed. Okay, so He breathed into it. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So it does all that for the righteous way of living. And it says so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what we're going to do over the next final, not final, but next weeks, upcoming weeks, is we're talking about this idea and looking at Scripture that God has the final say and the final word on certain things and issues that happen in your life. So if you are a believer, we believe the authority of God. We believe it does that. It corrects us. It rebukes us. And it helps us for righteous living. So we are going to talk about that over the next four, five, six weeks. Now, as we get into our study, here's where I want to uh, take you is, now, I don't, if you've ever had a, a first-time experience, okay, first-time experience with someone or something, isn't it true you do not forget it? Right? Because what do we say? First impressions matter. And you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. And for Sarah and I, I will never forget, and she will probably never forget the first time we bought this house. And I remember this house, and my dad found this house, and he's like, this is a great house, this is good for you, and, you know, selling it to us. And so we drive up, let me just describe this to you. We drive up to on the street, and it's got a small two-foot, three-foot block wall around it. It's got a gate opening, and above two-foot um block wall is a chain link fence behind the chain link fence you can't see the house from the street let me tell you why you can't see the house from the street because there's sugar cane that is like seven to eight feet tall behind the chain link fence there is sugar cane growing up all around this place okay then so i i can see my wife's face like are you serious joe are you serious so we walk up we walk through the gate there is trash everywhere. It seems like somebody was hoarding or doing something. And I mean, there is mounds of trash. So listen, you're walking up, there's mounds of trash up to the house. And we're not talking just like one area. We're talking around the whole house. And my dad's like, no, 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 just trust me. Just trust me, right? <laughs> and my dad would be a great person to do a fixer-upper, okay? He'd be a great person to be one of those shows because this house is exactly that. So we walk in, and it gets worse. 
I mean, you can never imagine it getting worse. It gets worse. It's just dirty. The uh, floor is just kind of a mess. I remember just, lo- I, I don't even remember what I was looking at or what I was thinking, but I do remember this. We're going to have to gut this whole thing. Like gut it. Like take it down to the studs and then redo everything. And my dad's like, no, 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 this is great. And I'm sure he saw my wife's face like, Fred, you're nuts. Like, this is crazy. Like, are you kidding me? And he goes, no, 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 you just have to trust me. This is going to be good. You got to see. And here, here's, his, here's his words. You got to see the vision. You got to see the vision. And I'm like, dad, really? And so we get it and we kind of look through it. And as we, we come out, we're still not sold on it. So about a week later, and I don't know if I told you this, but my dad kind of sat me down and he goes, you know, you just got to convince Sarah to trust me. This is going to be a really good house <laughs> when we're done with it. We can do all this stuff and da-da-da. And so we, fi- we finally got the house. We had some um, men in the church, constructor, general con- contractor, who did the construction, did all that. Um, I had a friend across the street who went to the church who was an electrician and said, hey, I'll help you. I'll save you some money. I'll show you how to do canned lightings. I'll show you how to do all the electrical. I'll save you some money. This will be great. There's a lot of potential here. Yeah, okay. And there's another guy in the church as a plumber. He goes, no, I can save you money too. We can attach your sewer. All you got to do is you have to dig. You have to dig the ditch and you'll save yourself money. And so I'm like, okay. So we do all this stuff. And I'm telling you what, if you walked on this property today, you would go sugarcane? What sugarcane? Because now there is, there's ficus bushes all the way around. If you walk through the gate, you would never know that Sarah and I with, and, and some of our friends with our hands pulled out this sugarcane and there's cockroaches that went everywhere. You would, thousands, I'm not joking. It was disgusting. You would never know that there was a rusted, beat up car in the front of the driveway. You would never know that there was mountains of trash that had everything and anything you can imagine in it. Oh, mattresses on the roof. I forgot about that. There was mattresses on. See, my wife. There was mattresses on the roof. The roof had 10 layers, believe it or not, of roofing. Yeah. Even Chip and Joanna would be like, you're nuts. But so you wouldn't. Here's the thing, though, about this whole house. You would never notice this because you know why? The restoration was amazing. What the turnaround and my dad saying, trust me, and this is going to be great. The restoration process was absolutely amazing. It took something that was old and should have never been bought and transformed it into something new and livable. And so when you think about all of that restoration, we all start, think, all start with a plan and a process. All restoration starts with a plan and a process. And it happens in homes. See, if we didn't have a plan, I mean, if we didn't have a general contractor come in and help us, we would have no, no idea what to do, what to pick, what to, what to, the cabinets, none, none of that stuff. I wouldn't know how to do electrical work. But you have a plan when you go in to restore stuff and it, and it comes out looking beautiful. And when you think about it, it's not just homes, but it's people as well. People who are addicted to something, they need a plan. That's why you have AA, that's why you have this stuff. Because the reason is if I don't have a plan in place, I'm going to what? Fall into temptation, fall into those urges, and eventually fail. So people who are addicted, they try to get them to have a plan because they want them to be restored. And even um, when you go into a relationship, you know you have a plan. 
If you're a guy, you have a plan. And if you don't have a plan, you're just kind of playing it off because you are going to plan how you're going to ask her. You're going to plan probably your first date. You're going to plan certain stuff. And yeah, it can be spontaneous, but let's be honest. When you ask and pop the question, and you might not, it might be spontaneous, but both of the, the couple, you know, both of you know the time frame of, of it, it's getting close. So it's kind of really not spontaneous, but it tend, tends to be. But I say all that because there has to be a plan and a process. And some of us, there's other times where we don't use a plan and process, is there? There's some of you who are in this room who's like, plan? I'm spontaneous. I love the thrill of not knowing what's going on. Right? And then there's others of you in this room, you're like, you're nuts? And some of you, if there's not a plan, you freak out. If you don't have it to the T and, and this, you're going, oh my gosh, and you're anxious and you're worried and you don't know what to do and you hate people who are spontaneous and the people who are spontaneous if they're in control, it drives you nuts because they don't have a plan. But restoration, I believe, needs instruction and it needs a plan. And it, it needs a plan because you have to plan to restore the house the right way, to restore relationships and people the right way. But what happens if we don't have a plan in place, people don't get restored, addicts relapse and spiral downward. And what needs to happen is we need to have that in place so restoration can happen and the new can happen. But think about this. What happens with us spiritually? What happens if we don't have a plan to grow spiritually? What if we don't have a plan to restore our lives? See, I think because a lot of us We've all messed up, including myself. We all mess up. And there's times in our lives where we have this downward spiral. And life seemingly is out of control. And then what do you do with that? Do we need to be restored? The answer is yes. Do we want to be? I don't know. But the answer is we do need to be restored. And the reason why we need to be restored is this, is because the world is broken. Okay, the world is broken, and that's why we need restoration. From the beginning, it's been broken. It has been broken since Adam and Eve, when Adam and Eve decided to do their own way, not obey the will of the Lord, begin to take that fruit, and they begin to, to open up and, and let sin into the world. And as they did that, what happens is, is now that Adam and Eve ruined their relationship with God, they don't not only ruined it for themselves, but what happens? Sarah was talking about today, generational stuff. You're tied to Adam and Eve. So everyone who comes into the world has a broken relationship with their Heavenly Father. It's so we're all broken and we're all, we all need restoration. But not only that, you know it when you look at your life and you look at other people's lives. You can look at their life and think, oh my, what's going on? And we look at it and we see the pain, we see the hurt, we see the bondage. We see the wounds, and then we look, go around carrying baggage, and we go around in life carrying this stuff that we don't need to be carrying, and we need to be free. Because broken people in, in a broken world need to be restored. And today we're going to talk about that. We're talking about broken people in a broken world need to be restored. Now, God redeems and God restores. He redeems and restores. And most oftentimes or not, we get this right. 
that when we're walking with the Lord and we're making decisions that are good and godly with him, that everything's good. But there's times when we decide to do what we want to do and we fall off and, and go our own way. And hopefully he brings us back to a place where we become right before him. But there's sometimes we get in places that we don't want to be in because we make decisions we shouldn't have made. But ultimately God's trying to restore us and bring us back to that right relationship. And we're going to talk about this group of people who did just that. This group of people called the Israelites needed to be restored. And in in history, if you look at um, the history of ancient Israel, you go all the way back to the kings, and the kings, there were some that were good, some that were evil. And the saying is, is whatever direction the king's heart went, that's the way the people went. And so there was good kings that would lead them in the right direction and righteous living, and there was kings that led them in the wrong and disobedience. But the most, well, the most righteous king, obviously God after God's own heart was David. But after that, I mean, before that, there was a king by the name of Josiah. And Josiah was the guy who turned the hearts of the people and made things right. Well, now after Josiah, they kind of go in, in disarray. They're in disobedience. And their southern kingdom, which is, it was split into two kingdoms. And the southern part, which is around Jerusalem, was called the, the kingdom of Judah. And they're in disobedience. And so, time frame after the kings, they're in disobedience. And they begin to be caught, and they're exiled, and they're captives of Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. So, before we get there, let me, let me just tell you this. It just didn't happen overnight. See, because Egypt, believe it or not, controlled that area of the world. So Egypt was in control. And Babylon came down from Iraq, and they came down, and they tried to attack and attack and attack and take that land and take the Jewish people in the southern kingdom towards Jerusalem. And finally, by a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, came down, beat the Egyptians, and he took the, the people, took them as captives, and they got exiled into Babylon. Now, there was a guy by the name of Jeremiah who stays back in Jerusalem. He doesn't go. He stays back in Jerusalem. And Jeremiah begins to write to these people. And in his letter, it's called the book of Jeremiah. You can open your Bibles there. We're going to look at it. Jeremiah 29, and you've heard this, but I want you to get this in the context because we kind of just talk and throw this verse out all the time. But let me tell you the context of this verse. Now, before I get to Jeremiah 29.10, Here's what Jeremiah is, begins to say to his people. Now, he says it in a form of writing, so he writes it to the leaders who are exiled in Babylon, but it's still prophetic. It's a prophetic word for these people. And when Jeremiah does this, he begins to tell them something, and he says, look, I want you to be there. I want you to be successful. I want you to multiply, and I want you to, believe it or not, to be good neighbors to your fellow Babylonians. Now, if you're exiled and you're in a foreign land, the last thing you want someone to tell you is, it's okay, settle down, you're going to be there a while. Right? Nobody wants to hear that. And he begins to say this, and they're thinking, well, that I just don't know if I can do that. Because Jeremiah says this, but you got to understand that there was false prophets who were saying that there would be a, a return and it would come quickly. So as Jeremiah says this, I'm going to look at Jeremiah 29, verse 10. 
And here's what it says. And even though they thought they had bad news, he's going to give them good news. And here's what it says. It says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Now he's referring to the, the, the restoration of the land. It's a promise from the Lord. He says, after 70 years, I'm going to come and I'm going to get you. And it's kind of opposite of what the false prophets are saying. They're saying, it's okay, it's going to be a quick return. And Jeremiah says, no, 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 no. It's not going to be a quick return, but it will be a return. It's going to be a return. And so let's look at the next most famous verse that most people know. It's Jeremiah 29.11. Again, to the, to the people of Israel, it says this. It says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, and plans that give you a hope and a f- future. Now God is declaring, here's what he's declaring to them. He's declaring that he and he alone knows what's going to happen to them. The false prophets can say what they want to say, but that's not just that's not what's going to happen. He's saying, I know the thoughts and plans for your life. And even in Psalms chapter 40, David would say this, that God not only knows you, guess what? But God has thoughts towards you. So God's thoughts are not their thoughts. See, because he says, what? For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope in a future. And for them, they're not thinking that. You know what they're thinking? They're not thinking peace. They're thinking evil. They're thinking misfortune. I'm going to be here for 70 years. And so as they begin to, to think this, they're thinking there's no way that we are going to be rescued. It's not a chance. See, we were, we were, we were encouraged by the word of the false prophets. Now you say we got to settle down. So we got to kind of get down and then we're kind of in despair. And they're not expecting this at all. And so Jeremiah gives, gives good words and his thoughts are not God's thoughts. And as God declares these words, he says, these are towards my people. This is a blessing towards my people that I have going to take care of them. That I am, it says, I'm going to prosper you and not to harm you, give you a hope and a future. Now, when he talks about prosper, here's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm going to give you health, I'm going to give you wholeness, and I'm going to restore you. And when he talks about a future and a hope, it's basically kind of together that he's saying that you will have a hope, you'll have hope for your future, but really what he's saying is you'll have a future full of hope that this isn't going to stop, that you will have this. And then along with this physical restoration, so we're going to physically restore you. And then he says, but then there's going to be a spiritual restoration. And here's what he says in verse 13, 12 and 13. He says in Jeremiah 29, 12 and 13, then you will call upon me, you will go and you will pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and you'll find me. And when you search me, with all of your heart. And here's the thing about God. Here's his promise. Okay, This judgment prompted the people to seek God wholeheartedly. That you will seek me and you will find me. And when you do that, God says, you can have all your rituals in your temple. You can do all these things. But guess what? If you seek me, you will find. 
And it's this promise to the people that if you seek me, I will not hide my face. I will not do that. And you're, you feel like you're in a judgment and maybe they felt like they, that God has hidden his presence from him and God declares to them that I'm not hidden, that you will find me. You just need to seek me with all of your heart. But if you don't do that, you won't find me. So in the midst of this judgment, God is saying, in the midst of what you think is bad and the choices you've made, there's one thing you've got to do and that is to seek me. Not with just half of what you have, but with your whole heart, with everything within you. So then he, he begins to, to lay all those good foundations and saying that this is part of your hope and your future. I will give you this. And the part of the hope in the future is that I will listen to you. And then he talks about it in verse 14. He says this, I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you. And I will bring you to a place from which I caused you to be carried away as captive. It again tells them that I have a plan and a purpose for your life. And here's part of the future and here's part of the hope, nation of Israel. I'm going to gather you from all the nations. And you're going to come back to the land that you're banished from. And he says, I have a great plan and I have a great purpose for you as a nation and you might not see it but I have one and the greater purpose in all of this the greater purpose of the exile was to have Israel come back to God he was trying to get them back to a right relationship with him and when they sat there for 70 think about this for 70 years if I was captive I'd still have another 30 something years You tend to lose heart, don't you? You tend to want to give up. But these captives for the 70 years, and God has made this promise, and you're thinking, when is this coming? When is this coming? You're counting down the the days because the Lord's promise, get this, the Lord's promise is right when that battle ended and they got taken back. That started the 70 years. And what they learned was this, that you can continue to do things your own way, you continue to lose heart, or you can seek me wholeheartedly. But here's what they learned, the one simple truth over that 70 years. That restoration begins with his plan. That restoration begins with God's plan. Not your plan, not my plan, but his plan. If you want to be restored, you got it starts to with God's own plan for your life. And now some of us, when we think about this, here's the thing. There are times when we hear that, but yet we reject that. We reject that restoration starts with God's plan because let's be honest, when life is good, we don't really seek God wholeheartedly, do we? See, when we have, when the bills are being paid and there's no behavioral problems with our kids and our family's good and our job's good and everything's good, we don't really seek the Lord, do we? We might seek Him, but not wholeheartedly. But there are times when we seek the Lord wholeheartedly is in those times of trouble and those times of of, temp, of trials and tribulations. And we're sitting there going, what is going on here? And you will do anything in your power. Whatever God tells you to do, you will do it. And you're seeking God wholeheartedly, aren't you? Because you need a turnaround. You need a good report. You need a miracle. And so you're seeking God with all your heart and your face down, Lord. I will do anything and everything you say, and I'm going to surrender my life to you. And you begin to do that. 
because you want God to intervene in that situation. And that is when we seek God wholeheartedly. But whether life is good or life is tough, there still needs to be restoration in your life and you need, still need to seek God wholeheartedly. Why? Because there's evil still in the world. Evil just doesn't magically go away. it's still here and evil happens when there was sin and there was disobedience and evil still gets us and it happens in our flesh. See, because we want to do, our flesh says to do the opposite of what God declares for our life. See, we want things now instead of waiting. And we're all guilty of it. We think what is now, we can't wait. And so we want, we think what is best in our eyes. So we go and we think we can have this and we make this choice instead of offering what God has for our future. And so we ruin our present and we ruin our future because of decisions we've made. But see, the thing is that we have to get to, and, and the one thing is, is we make those decisions it leads to broken lives. And the reason why you and I both need to be restored is this, is because our lives are shattered. It's not one person in here that your life's not shattered. Now, let me just show you what I'm talking about. Now, I have this, I have this plate here. Okay, and it's your life. And this is what you think your life is. And this is what you think your life looks like. But if I say our lives are shattered... What happens is when we walk through life and we begin to go through life, there's pain that happens, right? Some of you have deep, deep wounds, deep issues. And so you go through life and all of a sudden, let me see if I can break it. I can't even break it. There we go. Okay? And, and, but listen, it's not just once. It's not just twice. <clears throat> Your life just becomes in a bunch of pieces, doesn't it? And you're like, I'm broke. And some of you, here's what you do. You go, well, I'm just, oh my gosh, I'm just going to pick up the pieces. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to pick this up. And life's good. And you act like life is good. And life, yeah, life is broken. Life is, in your terms, horrible. And so you're like, oh my gosh. And then some of you are like, well, there's nothing I can do now. This is just the way life is going to be. So what you do is you settle for a broken life. You, so you walk through life with broken pieces. Well, it's okay, but I'll just pretend my plate's good. My plate's full, but really, I just got to live like this. I got to live with the hurt. I got to live with the pain. I got to live with the brokenness. See, and so what we do is... is and what we do is we try to, some of us, we try to take our pieces and we try to glue them back together. Well, I think I think I can make this work. Well, maybe if I do this and this, and I put this, and, and you, you, you try to put all the pieces back together and you try to glue it and tape it and do whatever you can to make your life back to how it was. And life's never going to go back to how it was. Because you have pain and you have hurt and you have feelings and you're broken. But here's the thing. Do you know that I can actually, I mean, it's really broke. But if it was just broken a couple pieces, do you know that you can actually glue glass back together? 
like if I had a couple pieces here, like I, I could get the right compound and the right glue and I can glue it back together. But it takes the right compound and the right mixture to put the plate back. Now, I, I know this is a mess, but if I had one or two, three, four, five pieces here and I just broke it, I could put it back together. Let me tell you this. The right compound and the right mixture for your life is Jesus. The only one who can put us back together is him. And so you can try and you can try to work on your own and you can try to do all this, but you're still broken. And you can act like it's, it's a whole piece and, and nothing's wrong with your life and you can even walk around like that with a smile on your face. But deep down inside, you know and he knows. And when God wants to restore you and he wants to take these broken pieces and he wants to make you whole. And so when God wants to make you whole, here's what he wants you to do. I think you have to begin to look at your life and you can begin to ask yourself three questions and you have to be honest with yourself. Okay, so here's the first question that you have to ask. Well, let me, let me before I ask those questions, let me just tell you something real quick about this broken plate. Because before I get to the questions, you have to understand something. When you're at the end of yourself, that is when you find God. When you're at the end of yourself, when you're so broken and so marred and so hurt, when you're at the end and shattered and your life is horrible, when you're at the end, that's when you find God. See, most people, they go through life and they do everything in their, in their grasp. They do everything in their grasp to what? To fix it. They go to counseling. They try to work problems out on their own. They figure, I can do it. And that, those are great, and those are helpful. Yet, even after we do those things, we go back to our old ways. See, the only way to find God is to be at the end of ourselves, and we need God's help. See, I see it in life, and sometimes I hope and pray people come to this point. It's the point where you're so low that you've hit rock bottom. Because when you're hitting rock bottom, when you're at rock bottom, the only thing you can do is look up. See, it's in that moment when your face down on your back and you realize you need God. See, you've tried everything else and you know you need to trust His plan for restoration in your life. The only thing you can do at that moment is look up. And when you're at the end of the rope, that's where you find God and that's where you find help for your life. And at that moment, you begin the restoration process. See, it's our choices that get us into that predicament and it's your choice to surrender that can get you out of that predicament. See, that is what happened to the Jews in Babylon. Their choice led them to their current situation. They were in a place where they did not expect to be in or want to be in. For them, there will be a long time before they would return to their land. They were in a spot where they had tried to do life their way and it got them into captivity. They could have continued to work and do things their way or they could respond by coming under God's way. Seeing it was completely up to them. And if you're going to surrender, we're going to need to take a good look at our lives and ask some questions. And the first question is we're going to ask is this, where have I made my own plans? Where have we made our own plans in our life? See, when you take a look into your life, 
where it is that perhaps you have leaned on your own way in your own wisdom. Because the tendency for each and every one of us is try to work things out on our own, to take control over our lives. And we tend to do what we feel that is best for us. Not necessarily a bad thing, but it's a bad thing when God gets removed from the equation. Because when you remove God from the equation and you try to fix things on your own, you lead with your emotions and you don't lead with the Lord first and the counsel and the wisdom of the Lord. And your heart gets into trouble and your emotions get you into trouble. And then you come to a place and you're like, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. I did it on my own. And then here's the, so where have you in your life, where have you made your own plans? Like the Israelites did. Second question you need to ask yourself is this. How have you been trying to put your life back together on your own? Let me repeat that. Where have you been trying to put your life back together on your own? That, I believe, is a key question. Because there's some of you in here where you're going through a tough time. And it could be a time with your, your coworker, a time of a personal something that's going on in your life. You could be going together as a family. But you're trying to fix it. And you're trying to hold on. You're trying to fix it. Well, if I, if I do this and I do this, then I can... And the more you try to hold on and the more you're trying to fix with your own self the more you're losing grasp of the situation. And see, what the Lord wants to do is you have to say, okay, Lord, I'm not going to kind of control things. I'm going to allow you to take your hands and control it and do what you need to do. I'm going to allow you to restore it. So this problem, Lord, I'm going to let go and let you do what you can only do. So where have you begun to try to put your life back together? And here's the third question you might have to ask yourself. It's this. What is something that is broken in your life? Ponder that for a second. What is something in your life that is broken? Because each and one each and every person in here is like this. And what God wants to do is he wants to take that area or that broken part in your life and he wants to restore it. And he wants to restore it first and maybe he wants to restore you first so he can work on the situation at hand. But first he's got to put you back together before he can put the situation back together. And you just have to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to do what you want me to do. And you begin to follow him, and you begin to follow his plan for restoration for your life. But it's only when you ask those three questions. But maybe you're here. Maybe you're here today. And when I say what's broken in your life, you're thinking, well, I know what's broken in my life. It's my relationship with God. If you're honest with yourself, you would say it's the Lord. You talked about this broken relationship, this brokenness with the with my Heavenly Father and and for you today, here's where maybe you have to um, move in this direction. That Jesus probably needs to be your purpose and your restoration. And maybe today you just need to say, God, I've been trying to do things on my own. And Jesus, now I need you to take control of my life. And you start to put your faith in Him. You find your hope in Him. And you begin to step by step 
He leads you and he guides you in a great relationship that he has for you. But I can't make that choice for you. You have to make that decision. Is God going to is Jesus going to be your purpose and your restoration? And maybe you need to be, begin to place your faith in the one who knows the greatest plans for your life. But maybe there's somebody else in some of you else in here that you've been walking with Jesus for a while. And maybe what you need is a redefining purpose in life. That God wants to redefine your purpose and his plan for your life. And let me tell you this, why I say that is because some of you are here are in exile. But you're in exile because of the decisions you made. And I call it the exile of regret. And you're sitting here and you're thinking, I've made decisions that I'm not proud of. And I don't know if I can come back. And you might be thinking here too that, oh my gosh, the decisions I made have ruined or excluded the plans that God has for me. You're thinking there's no way that God can make something good out of this. You're like the Jewish people. You're sitting there going, I don't have any hope. I don't see any future. Let me tell you this. That's wrong. And it's a lie. Because was restoration kept from the Jewish people because of the decision they made? No. So why do you think that God would hold back restoration because of decisions you have made? He's not. So it might take a while, but he's he's in the business of restoration. So listen, if if despite where you are today, God wants to restore you, and he wants to make you whole. See, the the thing is this. I don't know where you've been or where you're going, but here's what I do know, that God knows the plans for your life. He knew the plans of Israel. He knows the plans for you. There's nobody who knows you better than the God above. And he knows the plans that he has for you. Listen, restoration makes something new. Restoration takes something that's beat up and old and it makes it beautiful. It takes that house full of sugarcane and trash and it makes it livable and beautiful. And it happens with houses, it happens with cars, and it happens with people. But just like a house or a car, or a person. You have to undergo the process. There is a process to being restored. It just doesn't happen overnight. There is a process that needs to be taking place. And so what God wants to do is God wants to restore you. He wants to make and mold you and shape you and heal you. And take your broken pieces and your pain and your hurt and your suffering, and he wants to make it whole. See, when you begin to go under the process of God, here's what happens. Things are made right. You begin to find hope. You begin to find health. You begin to find wholeness for your life. See, that's why we exist. That's why this church exists. What do we believe? What do we live by? Why do we gather? So what? That that we can find hope in wholeness in Jesus Christ. That's his church. 
And so if that's where we live, guess what? You know who God's sending through the doors? Broken people. Because he wants to restore broken people. So here's the thing. Golly. Here's what I want you to do. Whatever area of life that God is talking to you about, he wants to restore you today. I don't think the Lord wants you to leave and not be restored or on the path to restoration. So where is it in your life that God needs to do this? Because we begin to do this, he begins to pick up the pieces and put us back together because why? Restoration begins with his plan. So here's what I want to do today. I want to pray for you. And I gave you a lot of info. And I gave you three questions. And maybe you just need to sit on that. Where's your life broken? Have you tried to get, gather the pieces of, and put your, your life back together by yourself? Where have you made your own plans? And maybe today that's what you just need to do. And ask the Lord, God, I, and be honest with him. Lord, I made my plans here. God, I'm trying to put myself back together and not allowing you. God, I'm broken in this place. And this hurt me generationally or this hurt me last week. And allow God to touch you and allow God to restore you. So I want to give some time for the Lord. And you can bow your heads there and we'll pray. And I want God to just, just touch you. I want him to restore you. I want you to be honest and say, Lord, this is me. So I'll just give you some time right now there to be before the Lord. Be honest. And again, remember, it's about surrendering. It's not the thing to do. I think at this point, it's the only thing you can do. So Lord, I just ask, we're sitting here, pray Lord, we just, we take our arms and we, and we lay them before you out. And Lord, we put our arms out and surrender. Lord, for those of us in here who have made our own plans, today, Lord, we repent of our own plans. Lord, we say we surrender to the will, to the way, to the plans and the purposes that our Heavenly Father has for us. Plans not to harm us, but plans to give us a future and plans to give us a hope. And Lord, where where we are sitting here today and we have no hope, would you be our hope in the name of Jesus? Lord, I pray for those in here, Lord, who have that broken relationship with you. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you touch them. As they surrender, Lord, they surrender their life to you and say, God, would you just move in my life? And they begin to start a relationship with you, Lord. They begin to follow you and after you and yearn the things of you and they would seek you wholeheartedly. And Lord, for those of us in here, God, we know we're broken. And Lord, for those of us in here who have been trying to put stuff back together and we've tried to do it on our own and we've been unsuccessful, today, Lord, as we lift our hands out and we raise them out, we surrender and say, God, would you forgive us for trying to do things on our own? And Lord, would you begin to do something in and through our lives? Holy Spirit, we release you now. The hurt, Lord, that we have, 
where we, we've been hurt and we're trying to pick up the pieces. We're trying to pick up the pieces of abandonment. We're trying to pick up the pieces of, of someone not being trustworthy or loyal to us. We're trying to pick up the pieces, Lord, of relationships that have gone awry. We're trying to just pick up the pieces, Lord, of our purpose in life. Because, Lord, we're sitting here thinking we have no purpose. People say God is great, but we're like, yeah, really? So, Lord, I pray for those of us in here who need to know your plan and your purpose. Would you redefine our plan and our purpose for our lives? Would you begin to restore us, Lord? Lord, that which was lost, that which was, was broken, that which was, was, had just hit us and harmed us and hurt us. Lord, for those of us in here who have wounds so deep, would you heal those in the name of Jesus? Would you begin to restore us, Lord? By the compound of Jesus Christ. The one who is the healer. Who heals physically, who heals emotionally, and heals spiritually. Would you do that now in the name of Jesus? And God, I pray as his people. I pray as his church. Would you bring more broken people so that you can restore them? Because you are the God who restores. You're the God who redeems. So, Lord, as we go out today, I pray for all of us in this room that we begin to be on a path of restoration, that we begin on a path of righteousness. Despite what we have done, despite the decisions we've made, today, Lord, there'll be a turning moment in our lives. And you'd pick up all these pieces and you'd put us back together piece by piece by piece. Because God, it says in your word that Jesus heals the broken hearted. And so would you heal us today? Thank you for your word. Thank you for your restoration and your redeeming power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you would like more information on our church or you'd like to visit us in person, you can go to basinchurch.org. And as always, we hope this content helps you on your faith journey.